So uh, we are in Genesis chapter 5. <clears throat> it's a chapter that in the past I've, I've attempted to skip only because it is nothing but a list of names, birth dates, and death dates. And I can't think of anything more boring than going through a list of names, birth dates, and de death dates unless you get into Leviticus and go through some of the law. What was the chapter last week I wanted you to read? Was it 18? Did anybody read it? Raise your hand if you actually went home and read it. Only one, two. Good, good. Good, it's about like teaching high school then, isn't it? <laughs> Give a homework assignment and two people do it. Go home and read Leviticus 18. I think you'll find it very eye-opening, depressing. Read it to the end. I read you the pertinent part that said, if you do these things, I'm going to kick you out of your land. So uh, that's a pretty, uh, pretty telling statement there in Leviticus chapter 18. Uh, no, no homework assignments tonight, but if you, if today, but if you want to uh, follow along in the scriptures, I do not have them on the uh, PowerPoint. Uh, you're going to need to open your Bible to Genesis chapter five when we get there. I'll start reading on page two, I believe. Yeah, half, yeah, it's uh, yeah, halfway down page two. Uh, so we'll get there in a few minutes. You know, last week we looked at the generations of Cain. Just want to make sure this thing's recording. Uh, we looked at the generations of Cain, and we saw in the generations of Cain the, the first, the rise, if you will, of an anti-God world system. And we call it the world. And we know that the world is against God, and that's the, that's the world that Cain set in motion. And we're going to follow that. It's going to end up being two generations. Cain, we call the world, and uh, the generation of Adam we look at what we call the godly line. So you have the world versus the godly line. So last week we looked at the worldly line, and now we're going to be looking at the godly line. Now, we saw these first generations arise of this anti-God world system, and in their effort to build a life together, they chose deliberately to leave God on the outside. They made great progress in material things, and you can see that very clearly. These were not cave dwellers learning to make uh, wheels out of rocks like you, you, you see so often depicted. But they slipped into such moral depravity by the time of the flood, 1,500 years later, 1,600 years later, they slipped into such moral depravity that God destroyed the old world and started over again. That's how bad it was. So today we look at the generations of Adam, the godly line. Adam and Eve were sinners. They chose to sin, they chose to rebel against God, and they brought everything wrong that's wrong into the earth. They opened the door, if you will. They, they were the ones in control, but they handed control over to the evil one, and they opened the door for all this to happen. You know, often you'll hear people say, I don't believe in God because if there was a God, he wouldn't allow this to happen. Well, that's not true. God allowed it to happen. And you say, well, why doesn't he just kill all the sinners and we'd be done with it? And the answer is, we're all sinners. We're all born in sin. So if he killed all the sinners, he'd have to kill us first or last or somewhere along the line. You know, so we, we don't have a choice. You know, uh, anything you see someone else doing that is a sin, you have to recognize that same evil dwells in your own heart. And without Jesus Christ, we'd have no ability to say no to sin. But the truth was Adam and Eve repented. They saw their mistake and they confessed it to God. And God forgave them. And in the process of forgiving them, he gave them that sacrificial system 
where he clothed them with the skins of an animal. He showed them how to offer a blood sacrifice. And from that time forward, God's people have always trusted in the promise of God through the shed blood of a sacrificial offering. One day, they didn't really understand it all in Genesis chapter 3, but one day we understood God would send his son and God would become that lamb. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus that day coming around the hill, he said, behold, the lamb of God. And the word there he used was arnos, and it means little pet lamb. And that's the little pet lamb that you offer in your sacrifice once a year as a Jewish family. That's your offering on the Day of Atonement. And although Adam and Eve were kicked out of Eden and faced lives of difficulty and death, they held on to their faith and they handed it down. Now you remember the story. And it was their faith that gave rise to what we call the church. So they they didn't call themselves the church. They might have called themselves followers of God. They might have called themselves people of of the Lord. I don't know what the, the people before the flood caused themselves. But they were a group of people who repented of their sins and have come to trust in God's promise to solve his promise, to solve our problem of sin, I'm sorry, once and for all. While Cain represents the beginning of the world system, that stands into opposition against everything that is good and godly. Abel and his replacement Seth, because you'll remember Cain killed his, his other brother, his brother Abel. Abel and replaced by Seth represent the beginning of a line of faithful followers of the one who has promised to redeem our world from the power of sin. So they begin the godly line. Now, Abel was the second human born. Now, it's interesting, and I pulled this from, I believe, Chuck Missler. I don't have this. This is an old note. And I, I don't know how, how well can you read it. Oh, you can read that pretty well. At least I can standing up front here. And there are these, yeah, I put on the glasses there, Les. Yeah, there are these um, models, typology, uh, theologians call it, in, in the, I want to say in the Old Testament. It's actually throughout the Bible. And where Abel is a type of Christ, uh, we'll see it again where uh, Joseph is a type of Christ. And, and the parallels are amazing. This is, I don't know how many I listed there, maybe what's it look like, eight, eight or ten. This goes on for like 34 points. And I just picked out the ones that I like. Abel was a shepherd. Jesus was called the shepherd of Israel. Abel was willing to approach God in a prescribed way through the blood of a lamb. Jesus presented himself as the offering. Abel's died as a testimony to his righteousness. Jesus died because of his righteousness. Abel's blood cried out from the ground. The blood of Jesus now washes us from our sins. Abel was honored through centuries as faithful. Jesus, of course, was honored, is continually honored through centuries as faithful. Abel was hated without cause. Jesus was hated without cause. Abel was slain for envy. Uh, Jesus was delivered to be crucified because of envy of his fellow Jews. Uh, Abel was murdered by his brother. Uh, Jesus was murdered by his brothers. Abel, uh, with Abel, God had respect to his offering. And with Jesus, of course, God respected his offering for our sins. With Abel, he obtained a witness that he was righteous. Uh, and with Jesus, his, uh, the centurion and Judas both declared him righteous. Uh, that, that last righteous should be on the other side. Sorry, I didn't see that. Uh, with Abel, his blood still speaks to us from the ground. 
and with Jesus' blood still provides our way of salvation. The parallels there are interesting. And I, I just want you to see that God builds these things into his scriptures. I, I don't think, and I, I have this in my notes later, I hope I don't repeat myself, but I don't think he puts these kind of models or types or examples or previews of coming attractions, if you will. I don't think he puts them in there for unbelievers. I think he puts them in there for those of us that spend time studying the Bible, and they're just little gems that we, we just pick out as we're studying the Bible, and it's just to encourage us that we'll know you know, every day we're tempted to doubt, even as believers, but that we'll know that God put this all together. God orchestrated this. God was in control of it all, and we can trust his scriptures. Uh, I don't even remember what I have next year. Uh, representatively, with Cain and Abel, we have the lost and saved in view. Um, both were children, both Cain and Abel were children of fallen parents. Both were born outside of Eden. Both were judicially alienated from God. And both are sinners in need of redemption. They're just like you and me, in other words. They're just, it doesn't matter whether your your line is Abel or your line is Cain, or if you'd prefer to identify with Seth since Abel apparently got knocked in the head. Uh, but it doesn't matter, you know, your line. We're all in the same boat. You know, there's a lot of people that will tell us that uh, Christians think they're better than somebody else. You know, well, you think you're better than me because you're going to heaven. That's not true at all. I recognize how filthy and fallen I am, and I've called on a Savior to redeem me. That's why I believe I'm going to heaven, not because I'm better than you. It's because I recognize my own fallacies. But with Cain, Cain pioneered the path forward for the lost world. He attempted to approach God on his own basis, of his own works and merit. I'm good enough. My works are good enough. God can take me as I am or I don't want anything to do with him. You know, he sits in judgment of God's demands on his life, where on the other hand, Abel, and of course following him with Seth, pioneered the path forward for the saved people of the world. He approached God on the basis of faith, faith in God's promises. And that's the difference. The difference is whether we're going to approach God in our own strength, our own works, whether we, we follow Old Testament law or uh, my grandmother uh, tried to follow New Testament law. He, she had the Ten Commandments of Jesus, of all things. Uh, that's a group of cultists called the Christadelphians. Uh, or, or I think I can make my own list of law, laws. It doesn't matter if I think I'm going to do something good enough to make myself worthy of God's heaven, then I'm in the way of Cain. And if I recognize that there's nothing I can do, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no salvation apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I come to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then I'm in the way of Abel. I'm in the godly line. Now, Genesis 5 is, is as I said, it's a list of names. Uh, now, this, this chart, I pulled it out for its simplicity. Uh, off of the internet. Uh, and if you just Google chronology chart from Adam to Abraham, it'll pull this up. And I, I like the colors. I like its brightness. I hope it shows up well for you. Oh, it does. Good. Uh, but I really wanted to stop at Shem. See? So what I did is I took a picture of the screen, a literal screenshot, uh, and I just reduced it down. You see, I still got our facts ad and Salem, but I'm close. I'm close. And I, I don't know, you know, while I'm reading this chapter, I wanted you to be able to look at this. And I want you to see this column. I don't know if this pointer will show up here or not. 
this column down here, see that? That's the years after creation that they were born. That's not their birth date. So, you know, like uh, Seth was born. Oh, get up there. Where did it go? There you go. I need a brighter one than this. Uh, Seth was born 130 years after Adam was created. See how that worked? And then 65 years later, Enos was born. And now the, the, the thing down here is how long they lived. 930 years, 912 years, uh, 962, 365. He got cheated, didn't he? Uh, no, he didn't. Actually got raptured out. But we'll talk about that at the end. He wasn't cheated at all. He only lived a mere 365 years, though. Uh, and then, of course, Methuselah, his baby boy, uh, his baby boy he named, when he, when he dies, it shall come. Uh, imagine a name like that. He lived the longest, and then, of course, you see Lamech, and you see Noah, and you see the blue line where the flood comes in. Uh, and then the, the, the numbers on the right was the year that they died. So you have years from creation, years from creation, the beginning and end of each of them. So as I read this, you'll see this. It's ten generations. Um, so this is a timeline. That was a timeline of the first 20 generations. Now this, I hope, is a timeline. Uh, well, we'll call it ten generations. It's actually more than that. So I'm going to read you this chapter. It's only 29 verses, and, and I think you'll be all right with it. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam. Adam means man. Adam is a generic term, and it means man or mankind, if you will, uh, in the day when they were created. So the first generation is in verse 3, and Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. And in the days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth, were 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died, the next generation. Uh, and Seth lived 105 years and begat Enos. So you see, these guys didn't start reproducing when they were teenagers. They were, they were often in their, well, the, some of the youngest were in their 60s. They were often in their hundreds when they first got married. Now, this plays back into this, where did Cain get his wife, and where did all these people come from? This all plays into that. And then they have children. They might be 100 years old when they have their first kid, but they'll go on having children for another 800 years. So you, you get the picture of what the population could do. I'm in verse 7 now, and Seth lived after he begat Enos, 107 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Now, you can see that up there, 912 years. The third generation, Enos lived 90 years and begat Canaan. And Enos lived after he begat Canaan, 815 years, and begat sons and daughters. They, I don't know if they had so many they didn't want to count them or they were embarrassed. I don't know. And all the days of Enos were 905 years, and he died. 905 years. Wow. And Canaan lived 70 years and begat Mahaliel. And Canaan lived after he begat Mahaliel 840 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. And Mahaliel lived 65, 60 and 5 years and begat Jared. And Mahaliel lived after he begat Jared 830 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahaliel were 890 and 5 years, and he died. Imagine getting that many candles on the cake. Huh? And Jared lived 162 years and begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared 
were 960 and two years, and he died. The seventh from Adam, now Enoch. Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Whoa, that's a cutback. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. The first evidence of the rapture. Not the last, but the first. And Methuselah lived 180 and seven years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 780 and two years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, 60 and nine years, and he died. And Lamech lived 180 and two years and begat a son. 182 years. You know, Lisa said to me, she just had her birthday, and I said, Wow, I'm exactly 40 years older than you. And she looked at me, she said, you were 40 when you had me? She said, oh, that's awful. I, I didn't realize that, that it was awful. Imagine if I was 169 years old and had her. Yeah, that would be awful. Uh, and Lamech lived after he begat Noah 590 and five years and begat sons, plural, and daughters, plural, in all the days of Lamech were 770 and seven years, and he died. And the tenth generation is Noah. Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem, Ham, and Japheth are our direct ancestors. That's our family. Uh, we're in one of those three lines. Every one of us in the world comes from one of those three lines, and they all go back to Noah, and they all trace their way all the way back to Adam. Now, it's a long passage, and it's hard to get through, and I, I kind of like the outline up there because... What I read is what you see there, and, and the numbers match, and that helps. So it's saying that the flood was 1,656 years after creation. So that's how long it took for, for the culture there to be reduced to rubble. Now, we've done a little better than that now, you know, uh, since, since the flood. Uh, we're somewhere around 3,000, 4,000 years since the flood, and we're hanging in there. But God put some restraints in place so that we couldn't decay as quickly as they decayed. And next week, we'll get into the outside help they had to decay. Uh, they had some extraterrestrial help. So bring your, your, your tinfoil and your imaginations, and we're going to go out into la-la land next week, uh, Lord willing. Uh, so uh, if you, if you want to go crazy, come back next week. So some interesting, some interesting points um, in, in this passage is by the time Adam dies, and I, I like the way those colors, so you look at their birthdays, right, and you look, you follow that line down, uh, and you go all the way down. So here's where, oh, oh, I don't want that. I don't want that. Let's get back there. Get back there. Okay. Wrong button. Sorry, folks. Uh, I didn't know it would work that way. Uh, so you go, here's where Adam died, all right? You follow that line straight down. All these guys were alive when, see, follow that line when Adam died straight down. All those guys were alive when Adam was still alive. So when they had their family get together, <laughs> they could all sit around the campfire. You know, I was told that these are just tribal stories that were handed down from generation to generation. And every generation got the stories mixed up. And these are just like old wives' tales or big tall tales that people told her. When you read the Bible, it's just this collection of hearsay. It's not that at all. These guys had face-to-face -face relationship 
with Adam. They had met this guy in person, and they could hear the stories directly from him. Even, even Noah could go back and talk to Canaan. Can you imagine that? He could go back and talk to Canaan, because Canaan was, was a, a, a wisp of an 850-year-old when, when Noah was born. He could go back and see his great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. I probably don't have that right, but it's just curious. Noah was born 14 years after Seth died. Two generations. One generation from Adam, right? One generation from Adam. Noah himself was alive and visiting his grandfathers to the sixth generation. Uh, these were not tribal stories. These were first-hand eyewitness accounts of what went on. Now, if my, my Hebrew teacher, Dr. David Skinner, is correct, these guys could read and write. Now, he taught Hebrew. So he believed these guys read and wrote in Hebrew. And he thinks the roots of the names indicate it. He, I mean, he, he isn't just being arrogant. He, he, really, he really believed it, and he had arguments to believe it was. Now, I think he was, I hope he was being a little arrogant when he said, when we get to heaven, we're going to have to be enrolled in Hebrew classes. I hope he's wrong about that. I hope, you know, there is a gift of tongues, and I hope one of those tongues will be Hebrew if they speak Hebrew in heaven anyway. Yeah. These were true experiences told firsthand by the men and women who lived through them. Now, also notice, which is weeks from now, that our direct ancestors, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, were 98 years old when the flood came. Can you see that? Right, so they were just young men. They could help Dad, who was 600 years old, 500 when he had the boys, 600 when the flood came. So from the time he was 500 to 600, you know, he's probably thinking, where's Social Security? Where's the retirement in this system? What's going on here? Why isn't the Lord taking care of me? Why am I building this massive ship on a hill when it's never rained before and I'm 500 years old? Obviously, his body held up better than ours do. Noah was 502 years when they were born and 600 when the flood came. It's an interesting chart. And like I say, you can just Google that. It's, it's right there, just image of the chart. Now, if you, I'm, I'm just, I'm just kind of jumping around this a little bit. You could probably spend weeks in this passage if you knew more than I do. Uh, Enoch walked with God and he was not. I'm back in verse 24 for God took him. Now, there's this, this strange thing that people talk about in the church called the rapture, which there are those of us, and I'm one of them, that believe the time will come when God is ready to judge the lost world and the first thing he's going to do is pull out his church. And people think that's the craziest thing they've ever heard. And quite frankly, the first time I heard it, it sounded a little wacko too. Uh, and, and there's times I think, you know, it's just wishful thinking to think I'll get out of here. But there is precedent. There is legal precedent for the rapture of the church. And it starts with Enoch. Enoch walked with, it was a terrible world that he was living in. And when you, when you get to the book of Jude, you can see that he was a preacher. But the, the rapture is just not limited to Enoch. In fact, you follow this precedent, if you will, all the way through the Bible. He, Enoch, was a preacher of righteousness in a world of unrighteousness. And he was hated for his messages. But he's not the only one. Paul was another one. And he said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, you know sleep in the New Testament is a code word for death. 
we will, we will not every one of us die. I will show you a mystery, something that up until now has not been revealed. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That's the order. You know, there's a trumpet, there's a shout, and then there's the general resurrection of the saved, and then we get changed and we're drawn out and we shall be changed. Okay, First Thessalonians, if you don't mind, 4.15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the, there's that shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That means my mother's body and all the dead in Christ will be resurrected in their new bodies and they'll meet their spirits. The, the bodies will rise up to meet their spirits in the air. And you think, well, that's cool. We, but we, even the Jews believe this, by the way. Uh, they, they believe that in the Old Testament. You can find these teachings in the Old Testament. Verse 17 is the new thing. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the promise. The promise is that if we just happen to be alive at the time of the general resurrection of the saved, we will in fact be resurrected even though we have not died. In the twinkling of an eye, Paul says. Uh, Revelation says this. This is John in John, Revelation chapter 4. He'd gotten this message. First he had a vision of Christ in chapter 1 and then in chapters 2 and 3. He had mess Jesus gave him seven messages to seven specific geographic churches, which represent, I believe, seven church ages. And then after he got the messages to the churches, after the church age, and by the way, from chapter 4 all the way up to chapter 20, the word church doesn't appear in the Revelation. The church is gone. Church is gone. Chapter 4 and verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was it were of a trumpet talking to me, which said, Come up here, and I'll show these things which must be... Boy, there's a typo. Which must be hereafter. You hear it, you see the... You hear the trumpet, you hear the shout, and then you see the opening, right? And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. So we find this crazy story about Enoch in chapter 5 of Genesis. Man, we, we're only five chapters into the book, and we're already talking about the rapture. And this, by the way, Revelation chapter 4, if you're not familiar with it, is at the other end of the book. This thing, this message carries through from Genesis all the way to Revelation. He simply walked with God. So we learn from Jude, I want to say chapter 14, but there's only one chapter. Jude verse 14 and 15. Enoch was a preacher who spoke out against the evil of his day. We also learn from Jude that he was a prophet of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We discover his son, Methuselah, whose name means, when he dies, it shall come. Wouldn't you love to have that name? When I die, it's going to come. Really? I remember uh, Corey Ten Boom used to say, I'm just thinking, I said Boom. Is it Boone or Boom? Boom. It ends with an M, right? Corey used to say, when Billy Graham dies, the rapture will come and the end will come. And we were all paying real attention to, to Billy after he had that stroke, you know. I think, wow, it's coming any minute now. But anyway, she got the name wrong. She got it wrong. Jesus said no one knows. But there is a precedent set here. We see a pattern here in Enoch that before judgment comes, God's people are removed. Before judgment comes, God's people, in this case person, is removed. In fact, before the flood that we see that Enoch is removed, Noah is preserved, 
and the lost are destroyed. Now, we believe in the tribulation. The church will be removed, the Jews will be preserved, and the lost will be destroyed. That pattern we find in Genesis chapter 5, which I think is interesting. In the tribulation, the church will be removed, Israel will be preserved, and the lost will be destroyed. When we get to Genesis 19, if we live long enough, uh, we will also see that before the angels could destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, they were told they had to get Lot and his family out. We can't do anything until you're gone. Can't do anything until you're gone. Precedent has been set. God's people are removed before it's God's final judgment falls on a community. Only then will judgment fall. Well, that's the curious, the curious case of Enoch. Now, there's one last thing I want to do, and my time's almost done. Uh, but um, And that's these names. These guys, Adam, you know the word Adam means man. Now, Ray Stedman, in his book, Understanding Man, has analyzed the meaning of the names of the descendants in the line of Seth and Noah and give the following explanations. Uh, so we take these names, these ten names that these, these men named their children over a period of 1,500 years. This, this isn't some plot line that Adam dreamed up. So then Seth, Adam named his son Seth. So God named Adam man. Seth named his, Seth's name, <laughs> I'm backwards here, Adam named Seth appointed. So then we get to Enoch's, and his name means frailty, moral frailty, or more mortality, capable of dying. Wouldn't you love to have that name? Weak and frail, dying. Uh, Canaan means dwelling or sorrow. And now, I'll tell you, you get around Hebrew scholars and you start looking up these words, you'll find a lot of disagreement about this. And you could argue that this has been manipulated, but I've seen three or four different commentators that come to these same conclusions. So I'm, I feel comfortable sharing with it. Maheliel means praise of God or the blessed God. Uh, these are roots, and you've got to determine what root. <laughs> not, in, not in ancient Hebrew, but in pre-Diluvian Hebrew, what root is being used to determine the definition. So you can see it's a little bit of a stretch. A little bit of, Jared's name means come down or descend. Enoch means me to initiate, to dedicate, or to teach. Uh, Methuselah means when he dies, it shall come. Everybody agrees with that, which almost guarantees the language had to be Hebrew, by the way. Lamech, whose name means strength or bring, and Noah, whose means, name means comfort or peace. So when you put this together into a sentence, right, you take these ten names and put it together in a sentence, you have man is appointed moral frailty. For his dwelling, the little, the, the lower case is just connectors, all right? I'm adding that in. Man is appointed moral frailty for his dwelling in sorrow, but the blessed God will descend. He'll come down and initiate, or when he dies, he will bring comfort and peace, which is, wow, what a coincidence, huh? What a coincidence. Ray Stedman writes, as when Ray Stedman translates this, he said, God has appointed that mortal man shall sorrow, but the blessed God came down teaching his death shall bring strength and comfort. Now, there's many hidden passages like this in the Bible uh, tucked in there for our admonition, little gems. And as I said at the beginning, I don't think they're there to convince the lost. I think they're there to encourage us, to help us to understand that God orchestrated this Bible from cover to cover. Uh, and, and you can see these kind of patterns uh, throughout the Bible. Um, 
I, I don't think Adam could have anticipated this sentence well enough to have convinced his offspring to name their children this way. Uh, and I don't know what the naming process was in those days. They may have brought all these little babies back to Adam to be blessed, at least up until the last one died, till, till Adam died. So it may be God was speaking through one man, but I don't think so. I think, I think each son brought his son, firstborn, to his father, their grandfather, for the name. I think that was a pattern that was set in the Old Testament. And the names were handed down prophetically in this way. And yet in this tapestry of ancient history, God wove the gospel message right into the names of the patriarchs of the Bible. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time together. Again, we lift up these names that we've prayed for, Lord, and we thank you for their steadfastness to you. And we pray, Father, that you would touch and heal them. We pray for comfort for the uh, Dorset family. We pray for those in our own community still mucking out water and mud. And we thank you that the damage isn't worse than it has been. I thank you that Lisa was able to testify that her house stood with water raging down both sides and both basements on either side of her house were flooded, but hers was not. And I thank you for that promise, Lord. I pray that you would protect us. And Lord, all this rain, please send some of it to Canada. Thank you for this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.